Welcome to the Forward 40 Podcast, where we highlight the experiences of 40 women of color on the rise in the nonprofit and social enterprise sectors. This is an ode to our foremothers, a healing circle of our unique experiences, and a bridge of insight and wisdom across generations. Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of Forward 40. This has been quite the troubling past couple of weeks, but also weeks that have been reassuring to a certain extent and reaffirming and re-empowering as it relates to Black Lives Matter. So I just wanted to acknowledge that um, it's been a challenge for most of us, especially those um, that are of Afro descent um, and are Black, whether we are based in the United States of America or globally. Um, This is really being felt in our workplaces, in our communities, and um, I stand in solidarity with every emotion that um, we are feeling right now. And it's it's with that that I'm very excited for the guest that we have in a guest chair today, Leonette Henderson. Um, she is the Director of Development and Partnerships at Higher Purpose Co., which is an economic justice nonprofit that is also Black-led. Um, so a uh, very, very timely uh, discussion to have with Leonette. So Leonette, thank you for being with us. No, thank you. I'm happy to spend and share this time with you. And thank you for creating this safe space. I really appreciate it. You're welcome. You're welcome. Um, So I guess, how have you been amidst everything that has been going on? Um, I actually, during this time, I've just been really giving myself more grace, Mm. giving myself permission to feel... um, Because I know sometimes I can operate on autopilot. So not being in that numb space, but giving myself permission to feel, giving myself permission to unplug when I need to unplug Mm -hmm. the impasse. I just take it day by day and sometimes, you know, hour by hour. And um, I just, as you know, you're watching the news and and you're you're seeing Mm -hmm. the names show up and, 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 you know, it's just, it. I had to take a moment because I just was thinking, like, if we really spoke all of the names of all of the men and women, exactly. all of our sisters and brothers, the time span would just be unimaginable. And mm-hmm. sometimes that just leaves me almost in paralysis. Yes. So yes. I, I just give myself grace. I hope others are giving themselves grace during this time uh, unapolog- unapologetically. Yeah. Yes. And thank you for sharing that piece about grace because... I am similar to you, you know, as much as I wanted to power through and like push through towards like certain goals that I had and certain things, you know, to, to work on, I had to just sit in what I was feeling. Right. And also monitor myself from feeling as though like that impulse of if I unplug, I'm going to miss out on something. 
mm-hmm. going to miss out on the latest development of the progress, um, the the advocacy, like what change is happening on the ground um, and in our communities, but then also on policy. And I remember I took yeah. one, one, one full day. I was just like, you know what? No news, no social media for me because like we, we have to manage um, our own care. And yeah. uh, this, this has truly been traumatic uh, for a good mm-hmm. amount of us. So thank you for, yeah. for sharing, you know, that we just need to give ourselves grace during this time because we do have a road okay. ahead. <laughs> we do. We do. We really do. We yeah. Do. So, you know, you're based in Mississippi uh, and, you know, with the context and, you know, history of Mississippi and just our ancestors, the blood that's in that soil. Um, I know that you returned back home and you had a career in higher ed and you, you went to historically mm-hmm. black college, right? Leonette? Yeah. Tuskegee university. Yes, ma'am. <laughs> <laughs> and then you, you transitioned when you were working at uh, a P- predominantly white institution, right? A PWI. Yes. Yeah. Yes, ma'am. Yeah. Yes, ma'am. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. We, we know the plight. Um, <laughs> yes. So I was, um, I wanted you to just share, like, what has that been like to, like, you went from being at a historically Black college, like, where you studied, and then you transitioned to working in higher ed at PWI, then transitioned into entrepreneurship, and now in this economic justice space uh, for the community. So if you can just share more about, like, what was your, what led to your journey back um, home, and then also what like how does how does it feel and what have you seen in terms of the growth in the work yeah so again i left tuskegee university in 2004 and i left and i i went to the university of virginia and i spent 10 years in higher education there Mm -hmm. and while i was there i really thought that i would pursue a phd in history during my time that i worked there but i realized that um the phd and professorship route was not for me at that time but I definitely have much respect to all my black PhDs and professors mm-hmm. out there that's doing their thing, whether they're at a HBCU or PWI. But it made me really think about what does my journey look like in, in history. Mm-hmm. And so I moved towards storytelling mm-hmm. and documentary film outside of my work in higher ed. And it was something to hear someone's story being told and to unfold right in front of you. Yes. And, and I found power in revealing the stories of buildings and communities as Mm. if the walls could talk themselves. So creating in this way just really captivated me. And then so fast forward during my time at the University of Virginia, um, I was living in Charlottesville in 2017 when the Unite the Right uh, uh, rally came. Um, So yeah, at that moment, after everything was over and after the community was trying to just really figure out what happened and we lost lives mm-hmm. and just to see all of that happen, I really had to take a pause and I had to ask myself, was I going to remain in Charlottesville and be a part of the healing that needed to happen there? Mm-hmm. Or will I return home and be a part of the building and healing of my own community in Clarksville, mm-hmm. Mississippi? 
So I, so I made the decision at that time that I would return home. In addition to my parents getting older, I, I just knew it was, it was time. And I didn't know what that was going to look like. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I returned home in April of 2018. And so when I journeyed back, um, it's home. So I was, you know, welcomed with open arms. And it was what I needed at the time mm-hmm. um, after I left Charlottesville. But when I returned, I wasn't the 17-year-old I was when I left. Um, I was 35 at the time. And so I saw at home in Clarksville, Mississippi, what was happening around the world. I came home to gentrification. Mm. That I so wanted to be community development. Like Imani, I really wanted to do I was like, this is community development. I was like, no, it's really gentrification. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. And fewer job opportunities, and our median family income in our county, in Oklahoma County, um, where Clarksville sits, is um, twenty eight thousand wow. a year. Wow! And and then yeah, I came back, and our elders were transitioning, and Kroger, the grocery store, decided to leave our city. Oh wow! But then, yeah, in the but in the midst of all that, like I still like heard this pulse and I still heard this beat and mm. and it let me know like while the community was still holding on and it it helped me to know why I needed to hold on mm-hmm. because the culture was still alive and well here mm. e- even though all of that was going on and I began to as I as I just sort of settled back home I began to meet new people that moved to the community that were creating spaces to grow the economy and to also serve our children in the mm-hmm. nonprofit sector. And, mm-hmm. and now we had a cultural arts center. We oh, did not have a cultural beautiful. arts center when I was growing up. Yes. And so the blues was still very much alive. It looks a little different now, um, but it's still very much alive. And my classmates' children were now attending the schools we were attending, so mm. we were paying closer attention to what education looked like. Mm. And Clarksdale, when I returned, would open um, its doors to its first charter school. So all this was going wow. on, yeah, upon my return. So there were some things that were going on that just sort of still remained, and the name just looked different, mm-hmm. um, you know, on the south. Very much the same. We still have the railroad tracks and the rivers that still somewhat divide, you know, cities in mm-hmm. some way. But there was still, but there were also some things that were growing and happening, and it looked very different. So that's sort of what I what I came back to. Um, wow. At the at that time. Yeah. Yeah. I you know, one I commend you uh, for returning home because. And, you know, home home as you, you've known it, uh, that has not been easy for anyone, whether you're coming from a big metropolis city um, mm-hmm. and, you know, our urban environment or whatever. It's we, I, I, I will definitely say if you're coming from a background that's either low income or your first generation, um, things that are communicated to you are you know, don't come back, (laughs) you know, like leave, Mm -hmm. don't come back. Um, or since you have already attained this, um, Mm -hmm. you know, go on and like take this history with you and carry Mm -hmm. this experience in the community with you and for, you know, and far off lands, but not necessarily, um, this, you know, this narrative or invitation Mm -hmm. to actually come back to where, um, 
what 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 you know um and where things started for you so thank you for yeah. for for definitely sharing like the full scope of the environmental shift that you were seeing happening, um, like in terms of infrastructure, <laughs> uh, but also in terms of um, social issues as well. Yes, yes, yeah. And and I will say, I think that for a few of us um, between, so I graduated in 2000, and I would say the classes that graduated between maybe 2000 and 2003, we were very fortunate that uh, a Black-led nonprofit, a gentleman by the name of Ermin Hervey, who brought his cousin down, Cheryl Green, they created REACH, and that was revitalizing educational awareness for change. And so they really changed that that narrative for mm. us uh, during that time, and they told us, it's okay. You can go away and get your college education. You can do whatever you need to do. But they said, come back. Mm. And a lot, of, a lot of people that I hear that's younger than me, that's older than me, they were just like, no, they said to leave and never come back. Yeah. So they started us with um, the responsibility to come back in some kind of way or to give back in some kind of way. So when I left, I knew I would always come back. I just didn't know in what capacity. And I was very thankful um, for higher purpose being around because mm. I was able to stay connected to the community because at the time before I came on as a, uh, with the team, as a staff, I was a part of the board of directors. Mm. So I was, I was able to stay connected to what was going on in Clarksdale and, and the vision of our CEO, Tim Lampkin and how he wanted to, to really move forward with things. So upon me returning home, so that first year and a half or so, I really, I, I worked at, worked different jobs. I worked at Collective Seed, our local gardening center and the mm. Travelers Hotel, which taught me a lot. Um, but then when I was able to make that transition over to, to Higher Purpose Co. and to be back into my field, it felt really great and it felt wonderful. And the reason I was able to do it was because the opportunity was created. Mm. That is beautiful. That is beautiful. And it's, I, I would say just from my perspective, it, it, it appears as though it's a very affirming space to be in, um, in this moment. And then also even beyond this moment. So, um, thank you for, for adding more of that perspective. Uh, yeah. so your, your, your journey to higher purpose though, um, when, when we spoke, you had, mentioned just like reflections on things that you heard from naysayers that, you know, as a, as a black woman, I would even extend it to brown women as well, whether, you know, of Latin descent, native, um, Asian, that there are, are kind of those, those people that don't believe that you're qualified. You're either, um, you're, you're good enough to do one thing, uh, but mm-hmm. kind of don't overstep, <laughs> don't overstep those those boundaries and, and want to be too high achieving um, in in their eyes. And you you shared uh, they would never see me more than an administrative assistant. And I thought that that was so powerful. Uh, one of my previous supervisors and, and mentor, um, she actually did her dissertation looking at um, what it what the, like the experiences of uh, Latina. Um, middle managers in, in student affairs. Um, mm-hmm. And yeah, it, it, it just feels like there, there's a ceiling. Like once you're, once you're at that point of, okay, this is quote unquote entry level, 
how do, how do mm-hmm. you navigate, you know, like actually growing beyond that? Um, and then in terms of like the development piece, you know, you had shared, which is very, very true. You know, we never had that opportunity to be in the spaces of the professionalized form of development. So I wanted to know if you could unpack that a little bit. And at what points in your career did you face this and how did you Mm -hmm. press forward in spite of, you know, these messages that you, you were receiving? Yeah, so during this time, this was during my time at the University of Virginia, and I, I was, I, I came to the University of Virginia in 2004 after I left Tuskegee University, and I think I left six years later, and I left because of this very thing, like, I felt like they would not see me anything more than administrative assistant, and I felt mm-hmm. like it was time to, it was time to leave. Um, I had, I had probably just, you know, stayed my course and and it was time to go so I could grow in a different way, but it's so, and so I left there and that's when I really, uh, jumped into, um, the nonprofit ed reform world in Memphis, Tennessee, where I worked for new leaders and it was, um, led by an African-American woman who I loved and adored, Janice Crawford, an Mm -hmm. amazing leader. And so I got a chance to be a part of that. And that was everything that I needed after leaving Tuskegee and going to the University of Virginia and and doing some really great work with some really amazing people that were really focused on the work, Mm -hmm. but knowing that I couldn't progress um, if, you know, if I stayed there. And so, and so I did leave and I was able to, um, manage race to the top program, but in that, that's when I found my love for for development. Hmm. Um, my program was ending, and my executive director, uh, Miss Crawford, was like, "Leonette, I really think that you could do this job." And it was just someone giving me the opportunity and believing in me. And so mm-hmm. I, I jumped right into development, and and so I loved it so much. Um, because she was like, I think you can do it. You can tell the story well. You know the work well. I love documentary film, so I love telling a story. Mm-hmm. So it, was, it really meshed well, and it really just it allowed me to, like, sort of um, mesh all of my worlds together, uh, so to speak. So it was, it was a great journey. It was a great opportunity. But then I found myself, um, Amani, going back to the University of Virginia. Mm. So... Um, I spent my time there and I had moved into elementary ed for a while, but I got a call back to come back to the University of Virginia. And it was it was timely in the sense, well, one, I was just like, well, God, what did I get the first time? Mm-hmm, and then mm-hmm. I have to go back, like, what lesson did I not learn? But I, I returned in 2014 and I would say um, for four more years. And, but it was timely because at that time I was in graduate school okay. um, for my master's in philanthropy and development. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, well, this is timely. And although, you know, the title was executive administrative assistant or senior administrative assistant, I, I needed that so I could sort of do the grad school and do work at the same time. Mm-hmm. So it was timely. But what happened was after graduation, when I was then trying to then move into development after, you know, receiving my master's, it was very difficult. Mm. A, lot, a lot of doors were closed and, and, and at the University of Virginia and in other places. 
Um, but it was and it was hard because I was hearing other people even before my journey began of applying. You know, other people's stories were different. Other people's stories were different that didn't look like me. And it was mm. just like, I didn't even know anything about development. Mm. And they just told me to come on and they trained me. And I was yes. just like, well, hey, not the degree. I just, I just need the opportunity to be, you know, to get in the door and do the work. And so I, I realized again that I needed to leave. And I was hoping and, and I, I knew that this would be my last journey um, to the University of Virginia and 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 my last exodus. Mm. And so it's sort of like it's, it's a quote that I, I use a lot around education. It's a um, it's a saying about how when the flower doesn't grow, we don't blame the flower, mm. but we look mm. at the environment around it. And so I would just really say to anyone, I didn't blame myself. Mm-hmm. I mean, there, there are places where I began to doubt myself, like, wait, what's going on? Absolutely. Like, how, you, know, you know, but I, it, it, it was a time where I realized this wasn't my environment to grow and to bloom in the way that I knew that I could in my career as a person, as a black woman, as in a place that really honestly, to any extent, valued my voice as a black woman. Mm-hmm. So I, I definitely say, you know, it's sometimes hard to leave, but if if you're in an environment that's not allowing you to grow, that's, that's stifling you, I would definitely say look at your options and then make that move. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. That was so powerful. And I couldn't agree with you more. Um, I know that even throughout my career, and I actually just wrote uh, a piece about this in having all women supervisors and um, my challenges with white female supervisors uh, and having one great one. And uh, other horrific ones. <laughs> uh, I could chuckle about it now, but going through it, it, it was not. It was not pretty at all. And just you know, putting it into perspective of what the challenges are for Black women, um, mm-hmm. specifically, where there's like countless data on us being highly educated, right? Um, you, yeah. I mean, you, you, you were working, you had achieved this master's and then you were still hitting a wall. Like, oh no, you, 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 you're still not qualified enough. It's like, are, are you kidding me? Um, yeah. <laughs> so it's like what, what you're imparting on, on the listeners to, you know, re like reassess, like, are you going to continue to fight on, on this battlefield that it's not a war that you need to engage in or are you going mm-hmm. to retreat not not in the sense that you're you're weak but you really know your worth and your value to really mm-hmm. plant seeds and grow elsewhere um because mm-hmm. a lot of these spaces were not intended for us to flourish and that that's just the truth of the matter it that, really that it is really is it really is. And I would also just encourage people as well to, if you're at that place, it's okay to create. It's it's okay to create that space that you want. And if Absolutely. you need to move into the entrepreneurship role and time, it's okay to do that as well. And just give yourself full permission. All of it, it definitely sometimes is very frightening to, to step out there. 
but I I would I would invest a hundred percent. Tell anyone to invest a hundred percent in themselves and to do it. Absolutely, yes, I mm-hmm. I concur <laughs> with that as well. <laughs> oh my goodness, living proof of that. Uh, we both yeah. are. So yes, we're we're we are talking our our testimony. So um, thank you. Um, just like expanding a little bit in, in this development space and philanthropy, I had come across Mm -hmm. the article at the top of the year that uh, was written by Vanessa Daniel, who's the executive director of Groundswell, which is a foundation, um, that supports grassroots organizing as it relates to, um, reproductive justice. And, um, the, the, the article, and I'll, I'll link to this as well, Philanthropists bench women of color, the MVPs of social change. And in that, you know, she was speaking about the the void and the holes that are in the sector at large and um, how the investments are not going directly to the women that are on the ground in the communities who have the social capital and the expertise, lived experience uh, to leverage and scale their work. So she noted that 0.6% of foundation giving was targeted to women of color in 2016. 0.6. My goodness. My goodness. Um, so not only are the white, you know, are the dollars going to white-led organizations, but the sector as a whole is not representative. So um, the dollars are going to more professionalized (laughs) groups that have proven that they're at capacity or that they're strong enough. They have systems in place to manage this money or they have the data to back up. You know, we 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 know (laughs) the the -hmm. reasonings that are that further bias uh, and just further institutional racism. Um, But from your perspective, what do you think? needs to be done to redirect resources and increase representation in the in the development space? Oh, that's a really great question. I think that as far as the increase of representation, uh, a few things needs to that, that I see sort of needs to happen. And and I really think around in the nonprofit world when we talk about the sector um, knowing that the solution lies within the community is, is very key. Mm-hmm. And so when you know that the focus on finding community people to staff an organization and or to be on the boards or people that will include community voice at every turn of the organization is really important. Mm-hmm. Because too many times in a nonprofit world, we approach a situation as though it needs to be fixed mm-hmm. and that something is wrong. But not only that, but we we also approach it in a way that some person from somewhere else that looks nothing like the community that they're serving is best suited to fix it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's that's on the groundwork, but that that also rolls over into our funders as well. Mm-hmm. So I I would just sort of say let's no longer approach our work as a whole in in this sector as fixing or helping. Mm-hmm. Um, I think. There's an Aboriginal um, activist, Ms. Watson, and she says, um, if you have come to help me, you're wasting your time. But if you have come because your liberation is bound up with mine, then let's work together. Mm -hmm. So I think think the main thing that we need to do is begin to and focus on working together and what does that look like? 
And so, you know, I share with you that in my first opportunity in development and to even be um, on, on, on that level in the nonprofit came because an African-American, my African-American executive director gave me a chance. Yes. So as representation is concerned, I feel like where we can have representation, where we can bring someone on or give them the opportunity to train them and we have that power to do so, I would encourage people to do that. I would also um, have other organizations to look around and to see if you don't have anyone on your exec team or anyone on your team, period, that does not, that's not a minority, that's not a person of color, that's not African-American, I would challenge you today to sit down and figure out what that looks like to bring other voices to the table to be more inclusive. And then in addition to that, when we're talking actually about our funders, I think it's time for us to shift some of our practices. Mm -hmm. when we talk about redirecting resources. I think it's time because what happened is I think when we moved into venture philanthropy in 2006, there were, there were, there were some pieces that we, (laughs) that we created spaces that I, that I don't fully agree with. Mm So in, in 2006, when we moved to venture, venture philanthropy, what happened is the money came but also the philanthropists wanted to have their say on what it looked like. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And this happened, this happened at a very deep level in education. And so, but we're not, but they're not the experts mm-hmm, in the field. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, I, so I would just really challenge and challenge other funders, foundations, corporations, like really look at your practices. But then I would also challenge them to say, hey, pick a Black-led nonprofit this year. Come on now. <laughs> and fund them yes. the way at your highest level that at you funded a white organization. Yes, yes. I would say, because the thing, well, the thing about us is, is that we, we learned earlier on, we used to play this little game, you know, and you're outside on recess, and it was this game, and it, it talks about how, how you can make a dollar out of 15 cents. <laughs> And that's how our nonprofits are living because we can do it. We can make a dollar out of 15 cents, but mm-hmm. what does it look like when we're funded to the capacity that another organization Correct. is funded where we can, because what happens is we're still doing, we're still actually pulling in probably longer hours to yep. make it work Yes, because yes. we have less funding and we're, we're doing and we're stretching and we're, using all of our resources within the community. And so if you give that Black-led nonprofit the same resources that you gave another one, whatever, whatever that is for that foundation or that corporation or whatever that sponsorship looked like, imagine how much further that, that would go. And not only that, you're talking about a lot of nonprofits that operate, their staff operates without health care. Correct, yes. Yes. So what does that look like when, you know, you began to pull in that money and they can actually go to the doctor if they're not feeling well? And you're talking about the sustainability as a whole and you're talking about the people that's actually doing the work ground on. So I would I would just say in the sense of. 
first of all, before we redirect the resources, let's redirect our practices mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and really think about what that looks like and how can we do things differently. And maybe that black organization is not coming to you. Maybe you seek them out. Hello. And you just see what that change looks like. But the thing that's happening in the sector is what's happening and what has happened all over the world. It's just, it's, it's really around um, equality. And how are we leveling the playing field? And who's going to step? Who's going to step up? Because at some point, we're so involved in the work, we, we know we're going to get the work done at any cost. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So why don't you just step up and match and match that for us, so we can get the work done in our communities and and get it done even more optimally, right? Oh, um, yeah. Like. <laughs> Paid the paid for the emotional tax of doing the work, <laughs> the mental tax mm-hmm. of doing the work, the physical tax of doing the work, uh, because especially when you are in an identity based environment where you're so closely tied to mission, vision, the values, it takes on a whole new form. It takes on a completely different uh, form where it's not you have to be very intentional about turning it on and turning it off. You do because the work is an extension of you, so you have to be very, very intentional. So, I I definitely agree with what you're saying that, especially in this moment, but even even beyond this moment, where you have corporations Mm -hmm. and foundations that now you know are having an epiphany uh, to invest in racial justice and invest in black communities Mm -hmm. um it's just like oh my goodness how like how much time has passed but okay we're gonna (laughs) we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna take it with a grain of salt and just you know count it as a step in the right direction um Mm -hmm. but i i would also add investing Mm -hmm. in the organizations but also spending time to understand those communities Understand the community. Work work along work alongside to see where this passion is coming from to to do this work. Um, Not just because you know the website looks nice and (laughs) you know the staff went to you know maybe an alma mater that you're familiar with, but really take the time to get to know the community as you are investing these dollars and in terms of the practices mm-hmm. please also consider um that there are organizations that do not have the luxury of filling out um how can i put it uh monotonous reporting <laughs> for for you know for, for this grant like there's other ways yeah. To tell yeah, the yeah. tell the story beyond, mm-hmm. you know, countless mm-hmm. pages in a report. So yeah. yeah, yeah, and even and even through the before we even get to reporting, even the application. Yes. Process. Oh yes. Yes. But, yes. Let's look at that as well. Yes. So many things amongst the practices that need to be um, just rethought of, and how and how we're going to move forward. Mm. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yes. 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 So, like, in this moment, Leonette, with um, Uprising, um, Black Lives Matter, and now we are seeing more of it being an intercultural uh, movement, and we're seeing 
and I would also say intergenerational too. Um, you know, from what's being captured, you know, in the protests, it's, it is very, it's very surprising (laughs) than, you know, when Black Lives Matter started and there was a lot of resistance against just saying that Black Lives Matter, right? Um, now Mm -hmm. it is, it, we're, we're seeing the, the tide shift in it becoming more commonplace. Um, and because, we're able to capture things on on video, right? And then also, people that aren't black are now seeing that it's a it's it's a free for all. Like you can get some too. <laughs> like if you <laughs> like oh like oh oh you want to stand for justice for this group? Oh, okay, you can get it too. So, um, mm-hmm. what are you seeing and hearing from your community members uh, that Higher Purpose works with and on behalf of? So what we're seeing at Higher Purpose, so specifically, you know, we work with um, Black entrepreneurs across the state of Mississippi, and and our mission is to build community wealth with these Black residents and to support the ownership of financial, culture, and political power. Mm. And so that's, that's our thing. And so what we're seeing and hearing now, especially from our Black entrepreneurs, is that, um, one... In the beginning, when in the in the beginning of COVID nineteen, we saw what Black people do best. We saw them create. Mm. They were trying to figure out how they were going to sustain their businesses in the midst of this. And yes. so, you know, um, even before I was hearing it on the news and what people were doing, um, we had a lot of Black businesses that were already on curbside assistance, already, you know, just whatever it is that they needed to do to sustain themselves. So they went into that um, that mode. Mm-hmm. And so we saw a lot of our communities be creative, um, but it also made us create. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so we were like, how do we come to, um, how do we come and serve our community. And so what we did was we came up with a black business relief initiative and a lot of our funders, we just reached out to them that are, that are that already familiar with our work and was like, Hey, this is what's going on. We don't really feel like the stimulus is enough. Not only that, we don't really feel that the federal money that's being um, allocated for um, businesses, we don't know if they're going to reach the pockets of our people. And it goes back to what we just spoke about, Imani, those practices around like the application and what you need and how tedious it was. So we developed, we we came up with our Black Business Relief Relief Initiative and within a few, less than a week, we raised $400,000 to distribute to Black businesses across the state of Mississippi. And so right now, yes, and so within the first, we had the application up for a week. I think that was from... Ooh, I think May 20th or maybe it closed on May 20th. And so we had it open for about two weeks and we received over 2,400 applicants. So there's a need. There's a need. And a lot of people have shared, yes, I have applied for this money and and that money and and I haven't received anything or I couldn't, I didn't have what they were asking for. Mm. And so... And and so I know we can do the math, $400,000, 2,400 ap- applicants, and we were giving out $2,500 to um, Black entrepreneurs 
um, across the state of Mississippi, 5,000 if you had an additional physical location for your business. And we, mm. we started to disseminate that money. Um, but what we're seeing and hearing is that that was a need. We needed to focus on black entrepreneurs because yes. as much as other things and other initiatives are around, most of the times we, it doesn't trickle down into our community. Mm-hmm. So, um, so we're seeing the impact on that and, and they're sharing their impact um, from whether it's from Jackson, whether it's from the Mississippi Delta, specifically Cahoma County. We also focus on our farmers mm-hmm. as well. So, um, so again, what we were seeing from our community members, they immediately went into creative mode. How can we sustain our businesses? We saw that they were not getting the help that they needed. And so we really wanted to jump in in any way that we could um, to make that happen. So we're really happy to, to be doing that yeah, and congr- doing that work. Yeah, congratulations um, for, one, you know, being proactive and uh, just advocating on behalf of the immediate community and the surrounding community. Um, And to the point about, you you mentioned, and the farmers. Mm -hmm. I found it to be very, very interesting that higher purpose for the support for entrepreneurs, for Black entrepreneurs, that farming is a lane of entrepreneurship and in the in the grand scheme of how entrepreneurship um, has been spoken about or showcased Mm -hmm. it is not (laughs) in terms of farming so could you speak more about that and why that's so important for the culture and community oh yes most definitely specifically when we started our work, we we had to we thought very hard and, and strategically and intentionally about what our sectors, our priority sectors would be. And so food and ag was the first one because we live here in the state of Mississippi and you know, we do health and wellness education and arts and culture as well. But the thing around food and agriculture is, you know, Mississippi, we have all this land and and the farmers, we really wanted to begin to work with farmers in a different way so they would actually see themselves as entrepreneurs mm. so they can see the business piece with it. We, we saw where, um, you know, just historically, because, you know, when we left, um, when the emancipation, quote unquote, came and, and then we moved into that sharecropping piece, we saw a lot of the same practices where farmers were breaking even. Um, You know, you had to take out a loan for so much, whether it's for your supplies, your seeds, however you were doing that, and then you paid it back and you were barely breaking even. And so we wanted to um, just really serve farmers and help farmers to look at farming in that entrepreneurial way. Um, What's your business plan? Like, how can we do things differently? How can we, you know, support you so it's not that continuously breaking even? Or so we can also get you away from having to take those loans out as well. Yes, yes. So we're trying to change the way people um, were thinking about about farming. So that was very important to us um, because it's important to our communities, how we eat, what we're eating. And we're also seeing this shift where, um, our young adults are going back to farming because they're realizing uh, just amongst our food how it's not 
um, it's not healthy for mm-hmm. us. And you know, mm-hmm. when we look at the health of, of the of the nation, and specifically the state of Mississippi with the hypertension and obesity, like people are really looking at how they're eating differently. And we mm-hmm. felt that that was very very mm-hmm. important. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, this connection to land uh, and the soil mm-hmm. and actually being able to engage um, with the earth in the way that um, you're connected um, spiritually, mm-hmm. but then also physically to further nurture your existence, you know, in this world. Um, you have shared, you know, this again with like migration, right? Um, Mm -hmm. those that migrated West or North from the South, um, to escape, uh, the toxic environment that existed in the South. And there are still remnants of it, um, Mm -hmm. to return to the land. Can you Mm -hmm. expand upon that? Um, why you feel that that's needed and needed more so now? Yeah, I I really think that returning to the land is is it's really important and vital to um our health as as black folk. Um I think that when you start looking at our food sources and what that looks like, um I think that when you when you start moving away from those practices of 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 healthy food, not processed food, if you're in certain um, cities or communities, um, just like I I had mentioned when I first returned home, the Kroger was leaving Mm. um, the city. And so what did that mean for Clarksdale? We do have a super Walmart, but we do serve other surrounding counties. So I think one returning to the land sort of grounds ourselves and whatever that means for the person, because here in the South, we can return to the land in so many different ways, just around grounding. And, and we have the land to, to look upon and to and for food. But I think it's really important in the sense of getting back to what healthy food is, mm-hmm. um, you know, making that because even even in our practices in the South, I'm I'm not saying, unfortunately, and, and what's very true is we, we still have, our soul food is actually an extension of, um, of slave food. We did, we, we, we may do with what we, what have. we have. Yes. And so, and there's, and there's a part of that, that is, that brings us all together at the table and all that. And I am, I love, I'm, I'm, I apologize already to our vegan listeners. (laughs) 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 I am still that Southerner. Yes. At least once a year, I will definitely have some chitlins. Yes. That is what I will do. (laughs) I know, but returning back to the land, like those are, but we need to be mindful and we need to return back to those healthy ways. And to the people that have migrated north, I see where, you know, certain apartment complex, they're giving you land so you can build your own garden. Mm -hmm. Just find those ways to return to the land. Pick up the phone and call your aunt that's still in the South, wherever you are in the nation and just, and, and ask her a question. She may have learned to pickle things and jar things and and just get back to those basics because I think that 
you know, when we look at our food supply and then even how they treated our food supply during COVID-19 in the mm. Nebraska area, other areas, like we really need to be mindful of, of what we're feeding ourselves. And so returning to that land piece can, it's, yes, it's around food, but it's also around grounding. It's also around like the culture and how we did things. And let's not get caught up in our like nine to five. Like what does it mean mm. to... To just to just step away and to be a part of nature and to mm. go outside and to pay attention and to be in the grass and to throw the football with your son or mm-hmm. with your daughter or whatever that looks like. And I just really think that it's 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 really the bigger picture around let's 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 ground ourselves again, especially during this time. Um, let's pay attention to all the things that that we are feeding ourselves mentally, physically, emotionally, spiritually. Mm, mm, mm. Thank you. What we are feeding ourselves mentally, physically, emotionally, and spiritually. Thank you. Um, Yeah. So in it, you know, you mentioned earlier about when you returned home, there was this enthusiasm Mm -hmm. to get, into community development and what it actually was, was gentrification that then leads to, you know, displacement, especially when you do not, um, when you do not have the responsible practices in place, um, so that Mm -hmm. people are not displaced, um, in, you know, in connection with generations that have, been removed from the South and maybe it's just like a distant family member that still remains. Um, Mm -hmm. How for those of us in the North, the West, you know, haven't been to the Southern region in quite some time, how do Mm -hmm. we kind of shift um, our, I guess our mindset, our spirits to even feel as though, where our ancestors were um, decades, centuries ago, mm-hmm. that that is a place for us to to return. Um, mm-hmm. And how do how, I guess how do we heal um, in that process where the communities need more of us, right? Um, mm-hmm. in, in some ways, mm-hmm. there's been generations that have abandoned because it was so hurtful. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It was. Um, it, it was, it has been, it, it still is in some in some ways. I think the, the very first thing when you were speaking of, the, the, the very first thing that I thought about when you were speaking is I think it's important to know that getting back to our roots goes beyond the time, our time in America. Mm-hmm. I think that's the first place to start. I think I, I think so often we start our history from slavery. Mm-hmm. So I think it's important to like, let's go beyond our time in America and who we were and, and who we represented. And then because who we were and and as Africans and before we we were stolen to then come onto this stolen land, it was it was already mm-hmm. just it was, you know 
it was a double thing. So let's 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 I think for for everyone that's really thinking about how to reconnect, let's know that we you know, we were placed in this position and we made the best out of it. Mm. And so when you look at the South, these are people that have survived and made the best mm. out of of their communities to sustain their cultures mm. and to remain intact and felt like if they left, they couldn't leave because no one else could do the work that they were doing. Mm. So I think it's just all about rethinking the, the why, you know, we're still, um, we're still here. Mm. And, and mm-hmm. those people that were still here when I returned, and so, and I think that, and so when I did that, there was just a deeper level of respect and let me, and now let me listen and yes. let me hear from you. Yes. And yes. so I think that when we start from that and we realize that, mm-hmm. you know, the, the South and, and it's so interesting because it's this place and space where people talk about it a lot. And it was just like, you know, when were you reminded you were black and or mm-hmm. your your blackness was seen differently? And and I share with people and I was like, I'm from Mississippi. I lived in Alabama, but I was reminded I was black and how my blackness was seen differently when I moved to Virginia. Mm-hmm. And so and again, so you know, this is all a part of 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 the South from Virginia on down. Mm-hmm. And so but I think that when we really go back a little bit further and to say that, hey, you know, this was, you were surviving through systems that were placed against you yes. and, and you're still living and you're still pushing. I think there's a place um, to, to come at the conversation and to come back and then to look at Mississippi differently mm-hmm. and to look at Alabama differently and to look at Georgia a little bit differently, especially for, especially for black folks that have stayed, that have stayed here to endure yeah. Um, to, to be, and actually to be that root for the people that left mm-hmm. to go to Chicago mm-hmm. and to go to wherever, to go to California, because at the end of the day, if it didn't work out, you could always Let's come, come home. Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying that you wanted to be there, but you could always come home. They rooted here for you in a different way. And so I think that let's start there. Let's, if we start from a place of, of just, um, gratitude and thankfulness and just like, hey, let me just really have this conversation. I think that conversation heals. Mm-hmm. I think that hearing stories heal. What happened in Mississippi this weekend on Saturday was, and this was around the state in Jackson, Mississippi, and Tupelo, Mississippi, um, and, and in so many other places, and even in Clarksville, Mississippi, our youth put on a, a Clarksville Empowerment Rally, and they brought the community together to really talk about what was going on. Mm. And then our elders came. My mother, she's 72 years old, and there were some people that was older than her, uh, some mm. of my friends' grandfathers. Our young leaders put this on. And one of our um, elders got up, um, Brenda Luckett, and she went to um, she went to school at the University of, of Mississippi. And so she and that was a time for her mm. to be going there and mm-hmm. tell stories. But she came and, and what she did on that stage was 
Because the thing is that when you pick up that phone call, you get the opportunity to start the conversation. And this, when she got on the mic, we gave her an opportunity to share. And what she did for all of us in that crowd was she apologized for her generation. Mm -hmm. She said, we thought we were trying to shield you from everything that we went through in the 60s and coming into the 70s by not telling you, by not sharing yes. all the information, yes. not bringing you along with us. And she said, I'm sorry we did that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so she apologized on behalf of her generation. And she said, but we're here now. And what she gave us was really powerful. She shared with us um, that it is the right of the people to alter and abolish and institute a new government when needed. And she mm -hmm. told us that was our power. And so it's something to it's something when we come together. It's something when you pick up the phone, any one of us, yes. just to call Madia or mm -hmm. to call whomever acts out. Or in, in my case, actually, um, Imani, my, the matriarch of my father's family is actually in Chicago. Mm. But she lived here. I grew up in Clarksville, Mississippi. So I charged myself to, to call, we call her Deer, to mm -hmm. call Deer <laughs> and to just have that conversation. So a part of us returning and rooting and getting back to heal is to start having those conversations conversation, yes. and know that they survived in the midst of everything. And they survived for us. Yes. So we could survive. They survived so we could have better. They survived so we could have the choice to go to Chicago, to go to mm -hmm. California, to go to New York, to be yes. in D.C. and to do all the things. So it's just, it's, it's, it's really grounding ourselves in that place of respect and admiration, having the conversation, getting back to to, you know, just our roots and where we started and to start having those conversations and to start having them now before, yes. before, before it's too late. Yes. Oh, that was just so enriching. And it actually made me feel a sense of gratitude, as you mentioned. Um, and it shifted my perspective even uh, in terms of, yes, it took and it has taken a lot to choose to remain mm -hmm. and um, to also be a tree that's planted in the event that we wanted to return there. Um, and, you know, there took a, there was a lot of audacity and courage uh, that it took to leave. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. So it is. I, I believe you sharing that it it will definitely shift a perspective that it required strength and resilience on both ends. It did. It yeah. did. Yeah. Yeah. Did. And I, you know, this, uh, the, you know, what you shared about the, the elder that, um, that that she mentioned, you know, we, I apologize. We should have, we, we wanted to shield you, uh, but we should have shared uh, our experiences mm -hmm. with you and what we've been through so that you can be better equipped. Um, mm -hmm. Right now, you know, with this, uh, now this newfound interest, I would say, in companies mm -hmm. reassessing the representation on their boards, their executive mm -hmm. leadership, 
just their talent pool in general. Um, how has it been to be in an environment that is black led? Like, how has that been for your coping <laughs> in this time where um, blackness is not the it's not the fight that you have. You, you don't have to make your case within the organization. So how how has that been for just like the coping and um, just like affirmational nature of of it all yeah imani it has been a god thing <laughs> i can imagine god. <laughs> i cannot imagine me doing this anywhere else mm-hmm. anywhere else um i i think that there are, th- there are conversations that I don't have to have mm-hmm, mm-hmm. there, you know, and I think that we, and, and the thing, and that the culture at Higher Purpose Co. is, is one of, like, yes, we have a CEO. Yes, we have a COO. Yes, we have, you know, the, all of the things that an organization has, but at the end of the day, like all of our voices are heard, are heard and we come to the table. And so to, to cope with this, um, actually, like our CEO, Tim Lampkin, when this came about, when COVID-19 started, mm-hmm. before we even talked about the Black um, Relief, Black Business Relief Initiative, uh, and the, the, the nation was given out or said that they were doing the stipends, he gave all of us the stipends. To say this is for you, and please go. Please take care of yourself. Use it however you need to use it. And and we were still, and he made sure we was we still got paid during this time. Mm-hmm. And and believe you me, we we have still worked during this time. But there are conversations that I know I would have had elsewhere that I didn't have to have. There's support that was given because the um. Majority of the team, they're from the Mississippi Delta. Mm-hmm. So we we also understand as well that sometimes, yes, we have health professionals here, but sometimes, you know, for our specialty needs, sometimes we do have to go elsewhere. Mm-hmm. And so like, that time isn't clocked, like go and take care of yourself and take care of your health. Yes. And uh, we've been working virtually. Um, and so it's, it's, you know, what, what have you, you know, what have been your needs? And we do, we definitely do a check-in. So it has been amazing to have the support of the organization that, that knows um, just the community and, yes. and the people yes. and to say, you know, what are your needs? This is how we're working. This is how we're working towards it. Um, and, and to keep you in mind as an individual, um, is is absolutely amazing. Thank you. Well, cheers to the Higher Purpose team um, for, you know, still being able to build community, sustain itself during this time. Um, it is definitely for those that are operating in spaces that are not representative, um, that are not as tied to the community. It's mm-hmm. like battle fatigue. Like you're, <laughs> you're, you're, you're showing up and you're trying to be the, your best self just for you, for your family, your loved ones. And then you feel like you're also fighting within to then fight for the cause. So um, mm-hmm. thank you for sharing 
just how much of a reprieve it has been uh, to be a part of higher purpose um, pandemic and then, you know, pandemic as it relates to the pandemic, but then also um, as it relates to everything that's going on with um, Black Black Lives Matter. So thank you. So, Leonette, we are at our close, and this was so. You, you, you make me want to actually come. Once we're able to travel now, <laughs> you make me want to come and visit. Uh, so I look forward to that. Um, I'm looking forward to you coming. Although you may make it, you may make it to New York before I make it to Clarksdale because. <laughs> Um, but you know, we close each of our segments with a tea affirmation. So what would be your tea affirmation for our listeners? I would say my tea affirmation, again, as much as I, I wanted to be so Maya, so Oprah-like or give you an Ava-ism, <laughs> I will, I will, my tea affirmation is this, um, my great-grandfather used to share this with me, and my great-grandfather was born in 1906, and I was very privileged to mm-hmm. have spent my first 10 years with him. Beautiful. And he would tell me, he said, Leonette, <laughs> he said, you can either root hog or die a poor pig. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And so if you wanted the, the very Southern vernacular is you can either rule hogs or die a pole pig. Mm. And so I say that in a sense of when I was younger, the only thing I could hear from that was, okay, I either have this option or, hey, the hog is still going to end up on somebody's plate. So mm. I'm, I'm not seeing the win-win here. Mm. But as I got Older, I began to, I saw it differently and I saw that he was giving me choices. Mm, mm, mm. And so, and again, for my vegan listeners, just bear with me on the, the pig scenario <laughs> 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 and, and making it an affirmation. But what I really want to share with you guys is that um, for hogs, um, sometimes. So a pig becomes a hog and sometimes it's, it's based on the size. And so mm-hmm. what, what pigs do is they, they get their noses and their noses are very tough. And so they dig in the ground and they're digging in the ground and rooting the ground because they're looking for food. Mm-hmm. So I would say to everyone, as we sort of share throughout our conversation is to ground yourself mm-hmm. in whatever that looks like daily. Mm-hmm. Mm. When you wake up, that you have a choice to ground yourself. Mm. And the second thing is, is as we talked about food and returning to the land, be mindful of what you're feeding yourself mm. through this time. If you need to step away, as we talked about earlier, and unplug, yes. please do so. But how are you feeding yourself physically, mentally, spiritually, and emotionally? And make that choice for yourself daily. Because on the other side of it, when we talk about the, and you can die a poor pig, dying doesn't always mean the ultimate transition. Mm. But because we're Black in America, and because because we have to code switch, and because we have to do all these things, and we find ourselves listening and seeing and viewing and getting video clips, 
some sometimes a piece of us dies and sometimes a piece of us just shrinks a little bit or our shoulders begin to round yes so I, i i share that to say we 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 have a choice and and if that is happening to you in those places that feel uncomfortable to then go and make that choice to ground yourself for the day to make sure that you're surrounding yourself by people that are feeding you the way that you need to be fed. So I, I just wanted to share that in that way. Amazing. It's amazing. Yeah. Taking their self, taking care of their self during this time. And um, because we have a long way to go. Yes, we do. We do. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. So much gratitude for you. Uh, and, and also for your work, um, you, you know, I am right there with you with, you know, economic justice and liberation and entrepreneurship. So thank you um, for everything that you're doing. How do people stay connected to you and the work um, of Higher Purpose? Yes. Yeah, so um, you can definitely look us up. We're online at www.higherpurposeco.com. Dot org. Um, we're also on Facebook and Instagram, again, Higher Purpose Co. And you can always touch base with me um, via email, and that's Leonette, L-E-O-N-E-T-T-E, at higherpurposeco.org. I would love to hear from, from, from you all. Thank you. Thank you so much, Leonette. It has been a pleasure. Likewise, Imani, and we need to get you to Clarksdale. Can't wait. <laughs> Until we connect again, sip, sis, sila, share, and continue to serve.